Hello, and welcome to the Vevolution podcast. Vevolution is a global organization promoting plant-powered positive change through events and a wide range of content created to inspire you. Each episode of this podcast will share with you stories and ideas told by positive change makers leading the way in shaping a better future. Irish twins Dave and Steve Flynn started The Happy Pair 15 years ago, and they now have four cafes, a farm, product range, roastery, four online courses, 120 employees, and a community of over 1 million people eating more veg. The twins wake up every day and go for a swim in the sea, and they go to bed every night thinking that today would have been a good day to die. In this talk, they discuss their journey, eating more veg, community, and loneliness. This talk was recorded on the Vevolution stage at Vevolution Festival 2019. This is great. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Uh, So it's a real honor to be here. It really is. This is great crack. Right. Anyway. Okay. Into it. Okay. So eight years ago, I remember we got a letter. Back, so this is back, even pre-email, uh, we got a letter from this guy called Paddy Cosgrove, and he was starting this thing called the Web Summit. And I remember we were driving a little red van, selling fruit and veg, and I was cooking in the kitchen. And here was this letter to go make juices and smoothies at this event called Web Summit in this place called the Mansion House. And I remember turning to Dave, the Mansion House, wow, I wonder who lives there, you know, really excited. So we rocked up in our little red van, set up our little juice bar, and we were making juices and smoothies for all sorts of humans. Uh, and one of the security guards came up to me after, he goes, do you know who that lad was? And I was like, no, I think he said his name was Jack. And he goes, that's Jack Dorsey, he fed this thing called Twitter. And I was like, I don't know what Twitter is. And then he came up next to me, that, 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 that lad there, he's Reed, he started this thing called Netflix. I was like, well, I don't know what Netflix is. Uh, and then he said, and that fella there, he sold his, he IPO'd his company for over a billion, he fed this thing called Skype. I was like, I don't know what Skype is. Uh, but during the break, we were allowed to go in and listen to the talks. And I remember finishing that day and leaving and going, Dave, geez, that whole technology thing is sexy. Like, yeah, uh, we, we really should get like phones. Um, so I remember, I remember the next week, Dave went out and he got us phones and we were delighted. And we worked out what a Twitter was and how you do this thing called a tweet. Uh, and at the time, we had a child, not together, but between us, we had a child. A child each. A child each. A child each. Uh, and as anyone with, does anyone have young kids here? Okay, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you're shh, trying to get him asleep at all hours of the day. Uh, and Elsie woke early, so Dave was down. Shh, shh, I, I, I was down walking around by the sea. Like, we live in Greystones right by the sea. So we were walking, our, we were both walking our kids around by the sea. And, uh, and I remember, this, this is back about eight years ago. And uh, Steve, we obviously had our phones. We were very enthusiastic. He said, oh, there's a camera, right? And he took a photo of the sunrise, the sunrise. And he put it up on Twitter, and he was delighted with himself. And, uh, and people interacted with it. It was like a symbol of hope, of a new dawn, a new chance at the day or whatnot. And, uh, and we, we got- kind of got in the habit then of going down and seeing sunrise together. And we'd take a picture and put it up on social media. And some days we'd swim and some days we wouldn't. And I remember back about four years ago, one September, we were down there. It was one of those manky days. You know when there's a northerly wind that would literally skin you? You know, you're just like, oh. And we were taking a picture. It was a beautiful sunrise. And I lined up my picture. It was on the edge of the cove. And I took my picture. It was great. That was lovely. And there was this lunatic in swimming. And he kind of came out. And he was wearing a little tight pair, you know, a little budgie. Budgies, yeah. And he kind of stood there like this. You getting in swimming, lads? And we went to all boys' schools. So we're a bit stupid that way. It was like, yeah. You know, we were, of course, we're getting in swimming. And inside, I'm going, oh. You know, this type of thing. So I got in swimming and came out and we chatted a little bit and he told me his name was Neil. I was like, how are you Neil? Great. And just as he was leaving, he was kind of leaving and he turned around and he went, see you tomorrow, lads. And I was like, yeah. 
So the next day we met him at sunrise again. Another manky day we went in swimming. Came back out, we were chatting again. And the next day, Caroline Barrington joined us. And the next day, Hugo joined us. And the very next day, we brought tea. And we didn't know how long we were going to do this for, because like swimming in the sea in winter, only lunatics do that. That's, you know, we're not, we're not one of those people. Um, but day by day, we kept doing it. And the only bit that made it sustainable was the friendship, the joy, the together. It was the humanness, the, the, the community. There you go. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks, Thanks. This is a great story. <laughs> uh, and I guess subsequently we've done it for the last four years and it's been, it sounds like a crazy thing to do, as Stephen said, but it's brought so much joy and, and it's not a whole lot of 25-year-old vegans that do it. There's like 70-year-olds, there's 60-year-olds, there's 14-year-olds and we swim every morning at sunrise and have done for the last four years. And I guess it's one of the most enriching things in our lives in terms of just basic joy and connection. And, and even if I look at yesterday, yesterday morning, I remember I finished training and it was, again, it was one of those really cold days. And I know it was a cold day yesterday in London. Yeah. Bike race, it was freezing. It felt like it was going to snow. It said six degrees on my phone, but it was like, it's lying. Google's lying. Uh, and I remember it was like, there's no way you want to swim. But I walked in with Al Roulette. We had a bit of crack. Crack means fun in Irish. It doesn't, you know, it's not crack. Uh, we had a bit of crack walking down. You know, we got down there, I met Linda and Deddy. The, the waves were massive. We were like, ah, I'm not going to swim, it's too wild. You meet Linda and Deddy, were in their 70s. Like, oh, it's amazing, are we going swimming? I was like, oh yeah, of course we are. Uh, and we went in swimming, and you come out feeling skipping like a schoolboy. So uh, I think the, the, the main message about that is that together we're better than we are as individuals. I remember there was a nice story that a friend told about a yogi. He was at a, a talk that a yogi was given. And someone, it was the Q&A part, and he was asked, what's the difference between illness and wellness? Uh, and being a wise yogi, he went up and wrote it on the board, all quiet and everyone, he wrote wellness, and then he wrote illness, and you know, everyone was quiet, wondering what's going to happen. And he walked up and he circled the we in wellness, and he circled the I in illness, and sat down. And I think that's it, I think wellness, today we want to talk about community and wellness. Community and connection. Okay, yes. Good effort right. though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so maybe just to give you a bit of context, like uh, nowadays they say we live in the most lonely society that's ever existed. You know, they say that there's one in three people in the Western world are now an antidepressant. So that all sounds kind of doom and gloomy, but we are going to build it up from here. Um, back, just to give you a context about us, back about... Um, Can I tell a few more little things about loneliness? Okay, go on, right. Okay, e even in the UK here, there's now a minister of loneliness. They say... Nine million people in the UK suffer from loneliness. The impact of loneliness on our health is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I know when I grew up in school, loneliness was often seen as something, oh, that's only for older people. Because there was a whole campaign of billboards of uh, old people drinking tea in their own. Can I say one thing? Can I say one? Okay, uh, yeah, and okay. even in that, when we were in school in fourth year, there's this thing called fourth year in Ireland. And they used to make us go to all the nursing homes. We had to go to the nursing homes because they were all very lonely. And we had to go along and be nice boys. And, oh, hello, can I make a cup of tea and whatnot? Now back to you, Zach. Thanks. <laughs> uh, but they found out that actually the loneliest sector of demographic in society is actually 16 to 25-year-olds. So it's not something that's simply... So, so today we want to talk about... This is the low point. We want to talk about the antidote of loneliness, the sense of community and our need for connection. Are yes! you excited? Yes! yes! Let's yes. do it! Okay, so point number one is... like We're going to give you five quick tips because five things... Five tips for what, David? For community, how to build community, okay. Point number one, I think it's about awareness because as we said, like current culture nowadays, current Western culture is set up. It's all about more. If you become more, then you'll be successful. If you get more, it's all about looking outside of yourself. Um, so current, current culture doesn't really set us up for community and for connection. So point number one is about awareness. That was good. Thanks. Enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, uh, so so to, back, to give a little story, uh, an actual... Okay. Go for it. Okay. 
Uh, to give a little personal story, just to kind of, I guess, bring that one more to life. I remember we, we went to an old boys school and we played a lot of rugby and we're very competitive. We were trying to do well in our exams. We did our exams. We went to study business. Can I say, can I interject here a tiny bit? Okay, yeah, okay. of course. Yeah. So as you can see, like we're identical twins. So being identical twins, you're, you're born on, you're bred on competition because you've been competing for, your mother's loving attention every day of your life and everyone's loving attention. So we're, we're hyper competitive and tend to be overachievers. That's identical twins. So being kind of overachievers and identical twins, it was like we played semi-pro, we in school we were playing semi-pro rugby. We, were, we went to all boys schools and gone to all boys schools, the competition was how many girls you could kiss or that type of thing, or boys or whatever you were interested. And us being competitive, that was our thing, you know. Okay, they were meant to laugh at that. <laughs> they totally were weird. Uh, but, but okay, so anyway, we finished school and being hyper-competitive, we were playing semi-pro rugby. We were doing male modeling because it was great to meet girls. We were, we were off two and three in golf. And we were we, playing baseball for Ireland. We yeah, were, you we, know, were, we, were, we were kind of, we were. Because we were, it was really hard to be in the Irish baseball team. I yeah, swear. it really was, of course. <laughs> uh, but at the time we were studying business and being hyper-competitive, I remember Stephen was all about, right, Steve, this is it. By the time we're 30, we're going to be millionaires. By 40, we're going to be billionaires. And by 50, let's have a few private audiences. If Branson can have one, let's have one each. At least, you know, that was it. So we were totally super competitive. And, uh, and, and I remember then, as soon as we finished college, Stephen says to me, he says, Dave, I'm not buying it anymore. I don't feel happy. Like, I don't feel fulfilled in myself. And he says, I'm going away. I'm buying a one-way ticket to Canada. I'm not going back till I'm happy. And I'm going by myself. You can't come with me. It's like, whoa, jeez, okay, cool. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so, so we ended up divorcing, going our separate ways, and going seeing what else life had on offer. Seeing what else life had on offer. Very good. Um, and obviously, we ended up. We changed our diet. This was back in two thousand and one. We both became vegan separately. We both kind of gave up drink. We got into meditation. We kind of questioned all sorts of different things. And we ended up spending a couple of years just looking under different rocks that society had on offer. You know, we wanted to. We'd been fed the same kind of paradigm that most people in the Western world, if you become more, if you achieve more, if you X, Y, Z, you then you're going to be happy. And uh, anyway, we came back, we, we left when we were 21, and then one day, I remember we were 24, Steve calls me up and he says, Dave, Dave, I've got this idea. Do you want to like start a health food revolution? This was his words. And I was like, oh, cool, yeah, yeah, great. Let's break stuff. And he says, no, I want to start a vegetable shop, Dave. It's like a vegetable shop. Okay, cool, right? Okay, cool, cool. So uh, we left. As we said, we were, we were like, we were overachievers. So in our small little town, people thought, ah, the lads are great. They're really going places, you know. And mom and dad were proud of us and all their friends were proud of us. And we came back now and we had, we had long hair, we had beards, we had top knots, we wore plaid pants, we used to paint our fingernails, we wore trinkets and beads, we didn't drink, we didn't play rugby. Now we were vegan and we were starting a vegetable shop. <laughs> So obviously the perception was, Jesus, the poor lads, they've really lost their way. <laughs> you know, they're definitely selling drugs out the back. There was this kind of undertone. Um, and even when we started the business first, I was adamant. I didn't want to start it as in a vehicle within capitalism to make money. This is not about money. This is a social movement to build a happier, healthier world and build community. I want to start it as a charity. And even uh, to give... Uh, can I... Uh, go for it. Uh, and even, even Stephen, obviously we called it the happy pair because there was two of us and we were selling pears. The happy pair, you get it? Uh, but Stephen, Stephen wanted to call it, uh, he, he, he had a name he wanted to call it. And I remember it was November the 26th, 2004, the day before we started. And uh, I, remember, I remember this day so well, so clearly. We're both sitting back against a car and we're watching Declan, the sign man, is there. And he's got his ladder up and we're both leaning back against the car, kind of going, oh, Steve, here we go, it's not a big deal. And, uh, and he's there on his ladder and he's putting the letters across the top of the sign, the shop front. And we're both delighted with life. 
And Declan gets down after about 20 minutes and he goes, lads, it just won't fit. Like, the letters just won't fit in the shop front. And we're like, oh, crap, that, that's crap. And, 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 and anyway, we called it the happy pair. But the name Stephen wanted to call it was, uh, our surname is Flynn. He wanted to call it Flinners Fruit and Veg for Social Change. <laughs> yes! <laughs> uh, so that'll tell you where we're coming from. Um, but the, the business has gone, I guess, from me and Dave, two hippies with a dream, where there's about 120 people with us. It turned over 10 million last year. We have four cafes, and we have lots of different aspects of the business. But, but, but the, yeah. the whole context of that story is really, we left, as we said, we were jocks. All our friends were rugby players that loved getting drunk and chasing girls. You know, that was our kind of social structure. And we came back, and now we were vegan, and we were into yoga. And if we came back to the same environment, we would have been drinking and chasing girls and getting drunk. That was just the social structure. So we did the most selfish thing of starting a vegetable shop to try to, you know, it sounds crazy, but rea in reality, we came back. And I remember, we, we only knew one vegan in our town. This is back in, uh, 20, nearly 20 years ago. And Steve called him up. It was one of my friend's elder brothers. And he calls me, he says, uh, hey, Andy, uh, do you want to meet up and, uh, like, talk about what it's like being a vegan? <laughs> and that was it, and we started and we our first little vegan meetup. And I think ultimately one of the main reasons why we started our business was because, as the expression goes, we've become the product of the five people we spend the most amount of time with. And if we were to spend our time with our old school friends, we would have been back boozing, chasing women, and we would have forgotten about these wonderful ideals. So ultimately we started our business so that it would support us to live the lifestyle we wanted. So point number one is, Choose your friends wisely. <laughs> no. uh, it's, you know, you become the product of your environment. So if you do want to have more healthy mates, you want to be healthier, get healthier mates. Uh, point number two, I think this is a good one. And it's about, uh, it's a basic simple thing. Like, and I know you guys, a lot of you, does everyone live in London here? Okay, most people do, okay. So we live in a small little town and it's kind of like, like the Shire in The Hobbit. You know, it's kind of like that. Like it's very idyllic. Everywhere you walk, everyone says hello to one another and that's just the culture of the town. Whereas in London, it's funny, people like lots of friends move here and they say, it's great, it's really cool, but it's quite lonely. Like I don't find to meet that many people. But it's funny when you come to a city with a paradigm or a culture of saying hello to people, we naturally say hello to most people and they actually say it back to you. So point number two is the simple thing of saying hello to people. And I see it with my own, like as we said, we've got five kids between us, not together. <laughs> and, uh, and when we bring the kids to the playground, like my daughters are nine, nine and six, and they, did, they run straight up to somebody and they go, hi, can I be your friend? <laughs> and they made a friend. And we're leaving and Elsie will go, uh, daddy, daddy, can Paula come up to the house and play? And I'm like, who's Paula? She's like, it's my new best friend. It's like, oh, wow, cool, okay, great. But as adults, it's a lot harder, it really is. You know, like we're all hiding behind kind of, I, I'm a big deal, I'm Mr. Big Deal. You know, where it's like, I make lots of money, I've got cool hair. I've got, got I drive a big car. I've got apps. You know, but we're all underneath it all, we're insecure humans. Like me and Steve, we turn 40 next month. And like underneath it all, we're still little insecure five-year-olds that want to feel loved, that want their mammy's love and affection, that want to be told, aren't you as great? You know, and underneath it, we all are. We all want to make friends, we all want to feel connected, and we all want to be part of something. Okay, so based on that, we're gonna do a little exercise. This will be a bit of crack, okay. Okay, so hands up who came here today in the hope that they'd meet like-minded people. Just raise your hand. Yeah. Okay, hands up who's sitting beside the exact same people they came and they knew before they came. Okay, Most great. people, okay. Okay, will everyone please stand up? Okay, we're gonna do a quick Okay, right, right. Okay, and just to create a context, okay, as human beings, we are lazy, we seek comfort, we avoid discomfort, but it's only through discomfort that we're encouraged to grow, we're encouraged to become better humans and better versions. Okay, get on with it. Okay, right, you got 30 seconds, go meet someone you don't know, introduce yourself and sit beside them. Embrace discomfort, go! go.
Okay, I'm going to tell a quick little story. Um, point number two was, again, it was about just saying hello to people and overcoming our insecurities and that and it's the other person wants to feel loved too. So the more you yeah. can... Uh, I'm going to tell a quick little story. It was, as we said, we, wanted, we started because we wanted to try to change the world. We wanted to get people to eat more fruit and veg and live more fulfilled lives. And um, I remember at the time, this is back about eight years ago, even nine years ago, I was working in the vegetable shop selling cabbages and carrots and Stephen was cooking in the kitchen because we, we have a cafe. And, uh, and I remember I was reading a book by Dean Ornish. It was, has anyone read any Dean Ornish's books? Yeah, I was reading one of his books. It was, it was all based on the lifestyle heart trial where he showed that you could reverse heart disease in most amount of, in 83% of cases by largely changing people's diet. So I was reading this and I was like, Steve, Steve, I wonder would this work in Ireland with Irish people? It's like, cool, okay, and Steve goes, great, yeah. I wonder can we do it in four weeks? It's like, okay, great, good thinking, Steve. So we walked into the local doctor, local GP, Brennan Cuddy, I'm knocking his door. Uh, how are you, Bren? Uh, we're the lads in the happy pair and we want to reverse heart disease. We want to see if this works. Uh, we need a nurse, do you know any nurses? And he says, yeah, yeah, Angela's next door. So we call Angela's door and we go, how are you, Angela? We're the lads in the happy pair, we want to reverse heart disease and we were wondering you'd, if you'd help. And she says, oh, lads, I've been waiting for this opportunity my whole life, hallelujah! No, she didn't. She said, how much are you paying? We said 50 quid. And we got a nurse. Yes. <laughs> and we had a nurse. And uh, so we had a nurse and we put a signs around the shop and we said, free, sexy, skinny, delicious, four weeks to health, you know, whatever. And uh, like obviously marketing. And we had 20 people sign up, 20 guinea pigs. They came along the first night, Angela measured everyone's cholesterol, weight, and blood pressure. Now, this is a little town in Ireland where everyone eats meat and two veg, and here was two suspicious lads that have a vegetable shop, right? So they came upstairs to us, and it was pretty much an eating club. Like, it was pretty much like vegetable AA. We, 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 we were getting them to eat a whole, like a whole food vegan diet for four weeks, and Angela started, and she measured everyone's cholesterol, weight, and blood pressure. So we'd starting measurements. And they came up to us, and as chefs, we got them to eat porridge, and granola and salads and soups and dals and chilies and it was we used to make this stuff and pass it around and they'd eat it and they came once a week and over the four weeks they got a little less suspicious slowly by the end of it their arms would be open and they, they were a bit more into because we put on videos of women and men in white coats with stethoscopes talking about research they'd done yeah so anyway and it came to the last night and obviously me and steve like a pair of preachers where we were quite quiet because we didn't know it was going to work you know we were totally taking a punt on it but uh, fortunately, there was an average drop of cholesterol of 20% amongst the 20 people. Everyone's blood pressure regulated. Uh, if people had lost, people needed weight to lose, most people lost weight. There was even two blind people who did the course and miraculously, they're able to see again. <laughs> okay, that was a joke. But uh, subsequently, we've had like 20,000 people through the online programs of it. And really, that story is just about community and bringing people together. And, and about social accountability, in essence, like, I know myself, even for example, yesterday I got up at 5.45 and I was cold and it was dark and it was raining outside. You know when you're in bed and you hear the rain, it's like, oh, this is extra nice. Uh, but I'd arranged to meet Mark and Raj, so I, I, like I'd, I'd given accountability. So I got up, I met the lads, we did train and I felt great. And the only reason I did it was because I said I'd meet the lads. So I think social accountability is really, really important. Okay, we're going to finish with one last exercise. We did a school's tour recently where we spoke to 5,000 kids over two weeks in Ireland for free about climate change and about trying to eat more fruit and veg. And we did this exercise at the end, and it was always a great laugh. Yeah, it was a fun one. It was Are cool. You up for doing and really, well, can I can I give a context to this? Okay, okay quick context. We're, we're literally only gonna be two minutes. So the context is what is the context? Okay, today? there was this. Oh, no, no, no. Here, go back. Get back in the box. Okay, yeah, okay. So, okay, so the context is that okay. Nowadays, we're all like, oh my god, you have to get up and you have to do your meditation, you have to do your mindfulness, and you have to do your porridge, and you have to be vegan. Oh my god, someone put some cow's milk in my fucking yogurt. Oh my god, you know. It's so easy to, you know, we're all trying to live our perfect lives and social media and all these kind of pressures and whatnot. 
But underneath it all, we all, most of us know someone that's lived to the age of 90. They never ate a vegetable in their life. They smoked 20 cigarettes a day. They loved gambling. They loved gambling. They drank whiskey every day, but they laughed a lot. They had loads of friends. They had no stress. They had no pressure. So the last point is about not taking it all too serious. Really, it's about underneath it all, we're all going to die. So you may as well have a laugh while we're here. So that's the context. And, so uh, there was this family psychologist known as Virginia Satir. She wrote loads of books, and one thing- And she, she was a big deal. She was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and she said it takes four hugs to simply exist. It takes eight hugs, not hugs, eight hugs for maintenance. And it takes 12 hugs to grow exponentially. Yeah. So you get where this is going. And so, so, so hugs might sound a bit touchy-feely, and oh my God, they're not gonna make us fucking hug people, are they? <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. But okay, uh, biologically and scientifically, through a hug, you get more serotonin, it releases oxytocin in your brain, which makes you feel good, it reduces cortisol, and it symbolizes connection, which we're all and craving for. And if you want to do a better hug, most people okay, hug yeah. this way. Most people hug with their heads to the left. Good. If, you, if, if your heart, if you're connect. hardcore, if you want more oxytocin, hug to the right so your hearts are touching. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, okay. everyone, stand up. Okay. Okay, you okay. got one minute. Stop what you're starting now. Okay, your mission is to get 12 hugs. Ready, steady, go! Uh, well done for doing that, you're brilliant, really. I hope uh, you enjoyed it. Uh, uh, we're just gonna wrap up because we've gone over time by saying thanks a million, it's been a real honor to be here. You're amazing people, each one of you have the power to change so many people. Go forth, inspire people, eat your vegetables. And let's do this! <laughs> If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us some positive feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast. By doing this, you'll be helping get messages about inspirational, positive plant-powered living into people's earbuds. Until the next time, take care, and we'll look forward to seeing you soon.